to the Clan McKenzie podcast. Welcome to the Clan McKenzie podcast. This week we're glad to have with us not an expert but she has 70 years experience with genealogy, research, and travel and writing in a huge database of Mackenzie's. Sherry Argue, all the way from Canada. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Thank you, Jared. Pleased to be here. Great. So we've had we've been talking a little bit for a number of months, but uh, we're finally got a chance to talk. Very busy schedules. We appreciate you finding the time for us today. But we're having you on today to talk a little bit about your expertise. And if you do a little bit of research on you, which I have, I've looked looked you up online. Um, you're all over the place when it comes to the Clan McKenzie stuff, and particularly with the Canadian Society. So can you tell us a little bit about your association with the Clan McKenzie Society in Canada? Certainly. It began back in the early 200s when I was asked to speak at the Seaforth Armories in Vancouver, British Columbia for a big dinner that the Clan Mackenzie Society in BC was hosting. And Alan Mackenzie, who was the founder of our Canadian Clan Mackenzie Society, uh, was also attending and one of the other guest speakers. And after I had spoken, um, he asked if I would become involved and be his vice president. And I glibly said, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> not having any idea what it would encompass. And, you know, I said, what will it mean? Oh, well, you, you know, there's a meeting annually and that's pretty much it. Well, as it turned out, I became the commissioner for Saskatchewan and we have eight days of events here, Highland Games and multicultural events. And those six of those eight run until midnight on those days. So they're very, very long, very busy, very fun days. Um, and then as vice president, I found that I was proofreading, I was writing articles, I was doing all sorts of other things. And I was learning a great deal from Alan about how the Clan Mackenzie itself operated and worked. Um, it was great fun. And I went from that to the day when Alan sadly decided it was time for him to retire and I became president. Ah, so it, more work for you. It was a full-time job. <laughs> it was a full-time job but Alan had edited the newsletter he had done he was the treasurer he was the president he was the everything up until then he was the storekeeper for goods that were sold online on the website just everything and it was a full-time job for him too but he was at home and it was what he loved to do unfortunately he passed away a few years ago and now Lynn McKenzie is our current president. After a while, I decided I just 
had done it for a number of years, it was time to take a break and let someone who was new have an opportunity to come up with new ideas. Um, I had managed to get us from the paper stage to the digital age. Wow. And even Alan admitted at times it was with him kicking and screaming all the way. But he realized when it happened that it was more efficient and less work for him. <laughs> but um, it was a process and it took several years and it took the cooperation of so many people within our clan society here who took over various aspects of what Alan had always done all by himself. So we now have a treasurer, we have a storekeeper, we have a president, we have an editor of a newsletter, you know, and so on and so forth. We have commissioners in every province and they all now have kits, with, which include a pop-up tent and tables and chairs and um, a suitable variety of informational items to show at events like the Finden tables and, uh, you know, books about the Mackenzie history, including one by your friend Andrew um, and his brother and um, my distant cousin, <laughs> uh, May We Be Britons, the most recent uh, really good history of the Mackenzies. Um, so they all have all these sorts of books and items, as well as Alexandra McKenzie's original history of the McKenzie's book, yeah. which is sort of a, the Bible that you go back to, even though we know there are some things that were overlooked in that or not quite right, we know where those things are now and can work our way around them because it is full of tons of excellent information. It's a very good foundation. So is this a uniform kit to every province then? So it's the same yeah. no matter which games you go to, that is what will be set up at that tent? Well, that is the beginning of what will be set up. Okay. We had a young fellow by the name of Gregory McKenzie in Alberta for a number of years. And he was so into all of the history of the clan. And he had swords and he had made a targe and all these things that he displayed and he was a chef by by trade so he even made biscuits and things and handed them out to people <laughs> ah, what a great what a great uh, leader there well he was unfortunately recently he moved to toronto so <laughs> we're looking for someone new in alberta to take his place but each each place will have things that pertain to it for example in nova scotia they have the hector ship so there's the history of the Hector. Now I include that a little bit here, but people in Nova Scotia really know what the Hector is. So when they come, they're very interested in seeing how that intertwines with the Mackenzies. Right. Because it was captained by a Mackenzie and there were many Mackenzies on it. Yeah, it's quite a project going on right now, isn't that right? There is. And this is one of the things our clan Mackenzie does is it supports Mackenzie connected projects across the country, as well as supporting Castle Loud renovations, we try to do as well, because it's very important that we can keep that original castle in usable condition so that it's there for posterity. It's been there for hundreds of years now, so we, we need it to be 
contributed to and little bits by people anywhere in the world helps. It all gets put into the one pot and, and helps to fix the roof or the drains or whatever needs to be done. Um, but in Canada, we have supported a project in British Columbia this year uh, that is a house that was built for a Mackenzie who had a prominent role in the society there. And it is now used as a, as a clan, not clan Mackenzie, but as a clan society building for all clans, wow. um, just on the outskirts of Victoria, BC on Vancouver Island. Uh, we also supported another project that had to do with uh, the Gaelic language being taught in a college. Oh, that's awesome. Times. So we offered money towards scholarships for people who are interested in going to that. Oh, excellent. We also supported the Hector uh, reconstruction that they had to do this last year or two. They're working on it still. And we've supported things in uh, Scotland as well that had to do particularly with Mackenzie's at particular sites that... Um, were being expanded to include um, a center perhaps for tourists uh, where they would learn more about Mackenzie history. So we try to pick things wherever they are, but especially in Canada primarily, because that's where our membership dues go, is to support things like that, yeah. um, to help bolster the knowledge that the general public would have about clans in general and Mackenzie's in particular. Yeah, well, Mackenzie's are the best. So we want to make sure we focus on them. Absolutely. <laughs> Very good. Well, that's fantastic. Learning a little bit about the Canadian uh, society. I, I perused the website a little bit uh, leading up to this and um, beautiful site. It's, it's very, uh, it's laid out excellently. The logo is actually really great too. You know, every society kind of does something different with their websites. I really appreciated that about your society our website is just being worked on to be redone at the moment oh. because the original had been done by one of our members and he spent hours and hours on it when i first became president and we didn't have a real website at that time and it was great but as technology changes we have to change with it to adapt and work with it better so we found that we weren't as interactive as we needed to be with people coming and things like that. So his sister actually has, Christine McKenzie has been doing the updates because she is a technical person in that field. So we're very fortunate she did that. And I was going to mention also the other place that our membership dues support is we offer three scholarships every year for students. Um, they can be members or they can be children or grandchildren of members who are doing things like Highland dancing, Gaelic lessons, bagpiping, Highland uh, drumming, you know, so on. Anything that connects them to the Scottish traditions. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, can anybody join the Canadian Society? Is that open to people worldwide or is that exclusively Canada? Anyone can join. They don't have to even be a Mackenzie. Um, it's interesting when I go to events and as president, I traveled all across Canada to events that, oh, the numbers of people who would come to the Clan Mackenzie tent. And so many of them were not Mackenzie's, but they were enamored of Scotland, 
clans and Mackenzie's especially, and they seem to have studied Mackenzie history. And many of them are Asian people. Hmm. And we have a number of them who have joined our society and we're proud to have them as part of the group. Is that right? We have people from all over the world who are members of our group from many, many countries. And we welcome them wholeheartedly, whether they're a Mackenzie or not. And they don't even have to be from a sept. <laughs> so real fast, going back to that, I'd like to talk about septs next, but let me ask you, why do you think these particular people, um, maybe some of the Asian people, why, were, why do they know more about the Mackenzies than others, do you think? I think we can thank Diana Gabaldon for that. <laughs> <laughs> Diana is um, a friend on Facebook, of course, but she is a patron of Castle Loud. She has visited there and supports the restoration and uh, continuing um, you know, support of the castle as a tourist attraction and for the clan. And she has planted a tree in the beautiful gardens that are there. It's a tree garden, not a flower garden, mainly it's trees. There's trees there planted by Mary Queen of Scots and people like that. So it's an old garden. It has some of the most ancient and largest trees anywhere in Britain and maybe the world, I don't know. So she has her own tree planted there too. <laughs> Yeah, so we can thank Outlander for a lot of the support from Mackenzie. So. I think so. And our editor, Robert Mackenzie, is actually going to be interviewing Diana at the Fergus Highland Games coming up this next week. Okay, fantastic. One of his questions for her will be, why Castle Loud? Why Mackenzie's? So I can't wait to hear the answer for that. We would like to, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else would like to know why. But um, anyway, we're looking forward to that. Well, make sure he doesn't let her get away with uh, kind of sidestepping that. Really press her. Let's get the answer about that. <laughs> I think that's one of the key questions he's going to be asking <laughs> for sure. And if people have other questions that they'd like him to ask, just let him know. He's at editor at clanmckenzie.ca, clanmckenziecanada.ca. Okay, and when is this event? Uh, the Fergus Highland Games. I think they're the largest ones in Canada, and they are coming up in this next week, I believe. I don't have the exact dates, okay. in him, but it'll be online. It's Fergus, okay. F-E-R-G-U-S. Okay, fantastic. And I'll get that um, in the show notes for this episode. And that way people that listen to this, they can click uh, the button and get access to that. And, sure. and if they do want to submit a question, then that's awesome. They can get that. To... Sure, I'm sure anybody can submit a question. The more the merrier. <laughs> all right, cool. Very good. So you mentioned that uh, you get people of all kinds checking out the tent. And uh, you mentioned SEPs. Yeah, uh, that's something that a lot of our listeners are interested in. Uh, they want to know about SEPs, how that works. And I know that you and I had a brief discussion about this. And you were not familiar with the idea that maybe there's controversy. Some people think that uh, maybe SEPs are, are not as authentic as maybe they should be. What, what's your understanding of the SEPs in relation to the different clans, particularly the Mackenzies? Okay, well, I just have a small list of names. And it's by no means a complete list of the SEPs that are considered SEPs of Clan Mackenzie. Somewhere I do have a much, much longer one, but this one probably has 30 different names on it. 
And I think it's important when we look at these names that we remember a number of things. One, we need to remember the influence of the Vikings and their naming patterns. So you've got people like Donaldson is the same as MacDonald because Mac meaning son in Gaelic of Donald or Donaldson, it's the same family, same bunch, right? Right. So we have Charles and Charlson are both Seps, if you have those names. We have a lot of names like Clunes or Clunies and Cromarty that are names that come from places where people lived. We have to remember that people didn't all have surnames. I mean, surnames are much more modern version. Some of the higher people may have had a surname, but the ordinary person didn't. They very often went by a name of where they were from, what their trade was, perhaps. Um, this is why we find with the normal Scottish naming pattern, you know, of the first son being named after the, the father's father and the second one after the mother's father and the first daughter after the mother's mother and the second one after the father's mother and so on, that you will find whole families with exactly the same names with children born in the same tiny village just about the same times. Makes it very confusing for- I was gonna say, yeah, it doesn't make your job very easy as you're trying to research things. Exactly, and you'll find out that they were cousins anyway. You know, they all came from that same grandfather and that's why the names are all the same. Got it. So we end up with a whole pile of these names that are all the same. So you've got names like um, Iverson and Ivory, and then you've got Kenneth from Mackenzie. Of course, that was the root originally. It was It was the son of Kenneth and Kenneth's son, uh, then Kenzie, and we see lots of little girls called Kenzie and Mackenzie. Yeah. They run up to me at events and say, what does my name mean? And I said, it means you're the son of Kenneth. <laughs> you know? go, oh, and I said, but it's a really pretty girl's name too. So I was just leave it at that. <laughs> but things like McBalin, you know, and you go back to the Balin monks, you know, so it's the son of some of them. McConnick, again, a version of the Kenneth not quite the same as it was in Gaelic. McIvers and McIvers and McKenna's and McKenny's and McKinney's and McKinsey's and McKenzie's and Murchies and McMurchies and McQueenies and McBanishes and McBinnies and McWinnies and Murchisons and Smarts. I'll end, I'll end up Smarts. <laughs> but the reason these people have all these different names, I think, is because we need to think about society at the time. You had the laird of the manor, whether it was the chief of that or the leader of that branch of a clan, any clan, or whether it was the chief himself. And around him, you have his immediate family. And it grows, his sons marry and they have children and so on. So you have the extended family. But you also have all the support people. You've got the gameskeeper who looks after his forests and the animals to make sure that there's always enough meat on the table for all of the people that they're supporting. You have fishermen who are again supplying food. You have farmers who are supplying grain for flour and things like that. You have the taxman who was sort of an overseer, like a manager over the farmers in the, uh, the tenants. 
um, you had the stable people looking after the horses because that was very important. And then you had shoemakers and seamstresses and tailors and all those things that everybody had to have because everything was made. Wow. So, you know, you start thinking you've got that community of people who are they identifying with and they maybe don't have a surname. So they may take the name of the Laird. They may take Mackenzie as their surname. But when you do a DNA test, you find out they have no Mackenzie blood actually in their line, but they've always been known as Mackenzie's because they were part of that extended family or that community group. Then you have the tenant farmers that went out from that central group. And those people, again, didn't necessarily have any surnames, but they supported that laird, that leader. If there was someone coming to steal the leader's cattle, they stood up for him and went to battle for him or in any other skirmish or whatever it was. And in turn, that leader always looked out for those people. Yeah. It was a mutually symbiotic relationship between them. It was a community of self-sufficient community, pretty much. It would have to be in those days, those early days. And everybody worked together. And so you have people with names that came, you know, like John Black, he was a blacksmith. Or John Smith, he was a blacksmith. You know, they became known by what they did. Yeah. Uh, so maybe Mr. Smart was an advisor to the Laird and was wise. Who knows? That I sounds that sounds very plausible. <laughs> I thought so too. And I only know one other smart. He lives in Ontario and he's a great supporter of the Claude McKenzie. Right. So um, you know, it's it's hard to say just where all the names came from. But I think you have to take into consideration those people traveled from one place to another to find a place where they could eke out a living sometimes. And with clearances in different areas at different times, clearances just didn't happen in a day. They happened over decades where, you know, one person decided to clear and put in sheep. Those people went and instead of being farmers became fishermen. Well, they didn't know how to do that very well, but some other laird might take them under the wing and help support them. And in return, they supported that laird. So to me, that would be where saps come in. So perhaps next I could address the question from one of your followers, Jared. And he had a very interesting question about some of his relatives who are Cromarties. And this ties in with what we've just been discussing here about the naming of people and why and all that sort of thing. When you look at the root of that, Crom is a place name. Um, it was used, there was Ross and Cromarty County, of course, that large Northwestern portion of, of Scotland, the Northwest Highlands. There's also the Cromarty town on the Black Isle, a lovely place to visit and stay with a great deal of history. But then we have the Cromarty family, and this is where he asked where his would fit in. And I really don't know where his would fit in with the Cromarty family that I know, because the Cromarty family I know, I am distantly connected to, but it is a title for them, not a surname. And 
Ross and Cromarty County is spelled with a Y, whereas the title is spelled with an IE at the end. It started off with Roderick, the tutor of Kintail, and his son, Sir John, who was of Tarbot, the Baronet of Nova Scotia, which is in Canada. So he's always been of interest to me. And he is also my 10th great grandfather. Oh, wow. Now, his son, George, Sir George, of course, they were all sirs then in this line. They, he is the Viscount Tarbot, but he became the first Earl of Cromarty. And that earldom was established only in 1703. Now that is Cromarty spelled C-R-O-M-A-R-T-I-E. And it is a title, not a surname. Then his son, um, John, became the second Earl of Cromarty. Now, he is my first cousin, nine times removed, <laughs> because I unfortunately did not descend. I descend from Sir John of Tarbot, but I descended from his, uh, oh, it's about his um, eighth child out of 12. <laughs> so we're way down the pecking order in the family, uh -huh. who is Alexander the first of Ardlock anyway. But so Cromarty there is a spelling and it was passed on from father to son. And so right now our chief, John McKenzie, and that's a whole nother thing with the naming, but you can ask him about that. Mm -hmm. uh, he has, his family assumed the name of Mackenzie and it was on the female side of his family as it is on my side of the family too. It was my great grandmother, my maternal great grandmother who is my Mackenzie. So they assumed the surname keeps things straight, I think more than anything else of Mackenzie. Um, but anyway, he is referred to as the chief as being Caberfay. So Caberfay is what we sort of affectionately call our chief in the Mackenzie clan. But he often will sign things Cromarty because Cromarty is his title. So that title of Cromarty spelled with the IE has come down to him and to his sons eventually as well. So I don't know exactly where your um, fellow who sent in the queries Cromarty's came from but I suspect that in their case it's more than likely from a place name mm. that is from a place where they lived yeah I, mean, I, was, I was looking at that you know it's they get different spellings that he sent in uh, one is yeah. spelled like our chief the next one is spelled m-a-m-a-r-t-y and then it goes oh. back to like the chief so I don't know yeah. if there's any kind of particular order, but then there's even one with two M's in it. So well, yeah. Yeah, you have to remember that it's only this last century that spelling became, first of all, important. And secondly, um, the thing we need to remember as well, I'm always going off on little side tangents here, sorry. Scottish, Scottish people have always been considered by people from other places to have been very highly educated. For centuries, Scottish people would go as tutors to other countries to, to teach the royalty and this sort of thing. Um, in so many families, there'd be one son that was a graduate with a master's degree from um, college in, in Aberdeen at the university, this sort of thing. So 
they are well, well educated, but they're not necessarily literate. They could quote reams of poetry. They knew their history of their country. They knew their history of their family. And they knew the music of their country and could perform it. They were well, well educated, a very well-rounded education, but that did not mean that they were literate, that they could read and write necessarily. So many, many people could not read or write, and you'll see that their name will be signed with an X on documents. Sure. And the documents are written by a clerk. The clerk, and sometimes it's the local minister, would be more literate, perhaps, but not necessarily highly literate. And they would write things down the way they heard them phonetically. And so you get all sorts of variations of spelling. Um, there was, oh, I could tell you a funny, silly little joke here. Um, it's like the people who come to me and say, my grandfather changed the spelling of our name when he came to this country. And I look at them and I say, I highly doubt that. And I really highly doubt it. I think what happened is when they came through customs that the clerk said, what's your name? And they said what it was. And the clerk wrote it down. Whatever that official paper said is what they went by in this country because that was their only official documentation here. Right. So they didn't want to mess things up, so they went by that. Yeah. So And I keep saying to people, but it doesn't matter if you've got M apostrophe, MC, MAC. Those are just abbreviations for MAC, which is Gaelic for son. Yeah. Of the name following, no matter what the name is. So I said, it's all the same. It's not a different <laughs> name. It does not mean Catholic or Protestant. It does not mean Irish or Scottish. It's simply <laughs> an abbreviation. <laughs> That's a funny one about the Irish and Scottish. I've heard that one many times. They're like, it's oh, just MC. It's got to be Irish. It can't be Scottish at this point. Oh, I know, because it's spelled MC instead of MAC. You know, I mean, or the other way around. Or, I mean, it's not even consistent using right. that argument. But this silly little joke, and you can cut this out if you like, is this big tall Swede goes through customs and the clerk says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Ole Nielsen. And so the clerk write down Ole Nielsen on the paper and he hands it to him. And the next fellow is a short little Asian man. And he says, what's your name? And the fellow says very clearly, my name is Sam Ting. And the guy wrote down Ole Nielsen and handed him the paper. <laughs> oh, yeah, that could happen, right? Well, you know, I mean, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it could happen. <laughs> it could happen. And so often people don't know how their name was spelled because there wasn't a consistent name. I've seen documentation of ancestors of my own who were supposedly well-educated mm -hmm. at university in their day. Yeah. And I've seen them spell their own name eight different ways on the same page. Sure. Yep, I've seen it exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I've, I've read documents where in a page, the same word is spelled differently, right? Oh, yeah. On top of the name. So, yeah, it's very... Very phonetic. Yeah. Very phonetic yeah. or just what you felt like at the moment. There, was, there wasn't such a set pattern of spelling. So for the fellow with the Cromarty relatives, I would expect that that came as a place name naming. Okay, interesting. 
Um, and so he says his name is actually McKinney. So, well, again, Kenny, we mm -hmm. call Kenneth Kenny. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's a pet name for Kenneth. Yep. So, and then you take and you put in the accent from different areas. So you get McKinney, yep. McKenny, <laughs> McKinsey, <laughs> you know, you get all different variations. And again, the spelling just varied along with the number of people there were practically. So there can be hundreds and hundreds of spellings. So it probably comes, it becomes the case probably a lot of times where you really can't get a solid answer 100% when when studying uh, genealogy or uh, ancestry. Is that not true? Well, in the 70 years that I've been doing it, I haven't come across a solid answer. <laughs> I think it's the best educated guess from what experience you've had with experiences you've had. And I've done an awful lot of reading. I've done a lot of traveling and a lot of interviewing of people in many different countries around the world. And uh, and I I don't have a, a pat answer for any of these things. Yeah. So you've helped you've helped um, you don't help just Canada in their society. Uh, you also have helped the United States society in your research. Well, yes, they don't happen to have a genealogist in their group at the moment, and so Barbara McKenzie has asked if I would assist people and I said well of course I mean we're next door neighbors and there was a good deal of travel back and forth people who came to Canada and moved to the states or people to who came to the U.S. and moved up to Canada um, so you know there'd be bits and pieces of the same family on both sides of the border so it only makes sense and my database is certainly not limited to Canada I'll tell you how I started it if you'd like yeah please do when I was about four, my great-grandmother Mackenzie was uh, in her 90s. And, you know, this was a long time ago. I'm 75 this year, so it was a long time ago. And people actually visited and talked. You didn't have television and radio was for listening to the news, you know. Um, and my great-grandmother was actually born in Canada, in Ontario, uh, out in the forest in a little log cabin near Listowel, Atwood, Ontario area. And she was the youngest daughter in a large family. Her parents and her oldest one or two siblings came to Canada. As a matter of fact, her oldest brother was born in Scotland. The second one was born on ship in the harbor at Quebec the night they came to Canada. But they were not allowed to disembark because there was a plague in Canada at the time. And so they uh, they were sent to Ontario unexpectedly. Wow. Because my my great-great-grandfather had uh, he had a job there. He had uncles who were involved in the fur trade. And so he was to work with them in their business, sort of as their treasurer, I guess. Um, a relative said he was in banking, but I think that's being a little grand. I think <laughs> he, he was going to be their bookkeeper or, you know, money man anyway for them. So uh, they ended up being brought to Southern Ontario and uh, he became a farmer, something that he was totally unfamiliar with. And uh, he didn't live very long. He died in his early fifties there, I think just from plain hard work. But 
so that left my great grandmother as the youngest daughter at home with her mother who had come over and was very lonesome for her homeland and her family, of course. So she talked about them incessantly. And so when my grandmother told me stories about her mother's family and um, Scotland, you would swear she'd been a playmate of Bonnie Prince Charlie herself. Mm -hmm. um, you would think she had spent all her summer holidays on the Summer Isles. She never left Canada. She was born here. But her mother had made this retelling of her homeland so vivid <laughs> that it, it made a huge impression on her all her life. Wow. So that was passed on to me, of course, at her knee. And I was fortunately able to read and write by that age already. So I wrote little stories out and I saved them. And when everybody else in school wrote stories about what I did in my summer holidays, I wrote about Scotland and my relatives. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And I went into putting um, a big recipe box with big cards and I made a card for every relative I knew about and could find out about over the next few years. And I put little colored dots in the corner to indicate which family they married into because they married into all these other Scottish families, of course. So um, that's where it began for me until I finally got a computer in the early 70s, paid a fortune for one from the States, and one of the very first personal computers in Canada, apparently. Wow. And uh, later, I think you could buy it at Walmart for $20 about 10 years later. <laughs> That's how technology is. But I made up a program and, and started putting all this information in. But then I went to things like the Finden tables. I managed to get a copy of those. Major Dixon had done that from Finden. And that's why they were called the Finden tables. But that was the Mackenzie family as they knew them then. And yes, there are errors on those 12 sheets, but again, we pretty much think we know now where those errors are and can fix them or have fixed them in, in our database. Um, and using that information, which is incredible to think that they didn't have any of our modern communication. This was all done by writing letters and riding around and visiting your neighbors and things to collect up information. Right. I mean, on all the major families, and we're talking merely Mackenzie's here, no other clans. And then I went to Alexander Mackenzie's History of the Mackenzie's. And then from there, I went to dozens of other very good uh, books. You know, some are just on the Boulogne family, some are just on the, the Cromarty family, some are just on other families, you know, that came from the various sons of the chief. So you've got all these different sources of material. And that is the basis of what I worked for years on putting into my database. And um, yeah, so then now I'm adding the modern things. Otherwise, when our kids or grandchildren who next pick up the interest in it, go to do it, they won't be able to find people very easily. Our records are not as available for a hundred years um, in many cases due to privacy laws. Uh, people move um, more than they may have sometimes in the past. Yeah. So I'm trying to bring as many lines as possible up to current days. 
that is quite a project and it sounds like you're doing awesome work as far as that goes like you said it's it's it is funny you think about it um it should be easier today but like you mentioned with regards to privacy laws it's sometimes hard to get documentation on people uh, currently living see sometimes it's easier to find people that have died you're able to make those oh, yeah. connections but when they're living you don't know anything but that's great that you're working on this. You how many? How many? You said eighty-four thousand different names. I, I'm, I'm over eighty-four and a half thousand now, I believe, and I probably have another six or eight thousand of what I believe is verified material to enter when I just get around to it. <laughs> and and if, to get access to this, people would need to contact you if they. That's right. I never put it online, but I do share freely with anyone who can connect to it. So if people will donate to me what they know about their family, and I mean, who knows better what your mother's name than you, you know, sure. I mean, in most cases. Um, I do generally accept people's personal family tree as being the truth. Sometimes there are things where I come across conflicts and then I will do research myself and try to resolve that. Sometimes it can be resolved and sometimes it's just nobody's sure when grandma was born, you know, um, and it's not on the tombstone or it's wrong or something. But um, anyway, <laughs> it's um, it's an awful lot of fun. That is wonderful. Um, sadly, you know, there's a lot of families where they don't keep those kind of records. And then uh, the kids or the grandkids are left trying to pick up the pieces and connect the dots. It's nice that somebody in the in the McKenzie family, worldwide family, so to speak, is doing uh, that work? Well, I have found relatives on just about every continent, uh, fairly close relatives, actually. You know, I am I call them cousins, but I mean, they may be six cousins, but we go back to the same great-great-great-grandfather, yeah. just for brothers or something, you know, and it's sort of trickled down the line. But that is still close. You're the same bloodline. The male blood DNA, blood Y DNA is the same. It's identical. And that's how I identify it is we, Alan began the um, McKenzie DNA project with family tree maker, or sorry, family tree DNA.com, which is located in Houston, Texas, the lab. Uh, Bennett Greenspan is the gentleman who started it. And another cousin of mine who lives in Utah uh, knows Bennett personally. They wintered in Florida together and things like that. I've communicated with him a few times. He himself was looking for his own uh, antecedents and being a German Jewish extraction was almost impossible. And he had the wherewithal to start up this DNA lab when that was new a number of years ago, and Alan got on board that with him and started the McKenzie DNA project. So even though you can get other kinds of DNA testing done, you can get the mitochondrial, which would be like from me to my mother, to her mother, to her mother, so on. You can get autosomal, which is from the center of the nucleus. It's neither male nor female, but it'll tell you if you're related. Um, that's like Family Finder through that company as well. But um, the Y DNA is the one that to me is the most important because the online populist companies don't do Y DNA testing. And that is 
passed from father to son to son to son to son to son forever. It doesn't change. There's very little mutation over decades and hundreds of years. So if you've got that DNA, you're a Mackenzie. I don't care what your name is. <laughs> wow, amazing. So that so doing this DNA test, how would you go about doing this to get hooked up with the okay. McKenzie one? Okay, well, you go to the three W's, of course, familytreedna.com. And you would just sign up there. You can pay on there. I've done it dozens of times because I've had so many people tested. And I've had so many other people test as well. Um, what they do when the results come in, if they're not sure, they've sent me their kit number and their password. And I look at their home page and I can see who matches with them. And very often I have several of those people in the database already. So I know that you're from the Boulogne branch or you're from the Langwell branch or you're from the Cromarty branch or whatever. That really narrows it down. And then we can work our way back and find out where the common ancestor is. Wow. So how many? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and as soon as I can do that with someone and connect them to the database, I will send them a PDF file by email. They don't need to have a program or anything, but I'll send them a PDF file by email for free, of course, because that's the whole point of doing it is to share your family knowledge with other people. And then they have their family tree. They don't have everybody else's, but they have their whole branch as far back as they'd like to know. Wow, that is fantastic. I didn't know about this project. I guess I, I had heard about it. I think I saw it on a Facebook, somewhere on Facebook, something about a McKenzie DNA thing, but I didn't realize uh, the magnitude of it actually. Right, well, we have no connection with the company itself. Right. Other than we have this project launched there. And I believe there are many other clans that use them because of the Y testing. Yeah. Now, this is where I maybe should say a little word of caution to people, and it may upset some people. And that is be very, very careful when you're using the online resources for family trees. In a way, it's wonderful to have all that resource material at your fingertips, but all it takes is one person to put one piece of misinformation on there and you to copy it and someone else to copy it from you and pretty soon you have thousands of people who have the wrong information. Yep. And unfortunately, that has happened a great deal. The companies that you use, even though they have wonderful resources, do not check your contributions. Right. Yeah, a domino effect of, of terror, probably, for somebody trying to figure out the actual history. Just one little mistake can just alter all that research. Right. I discovered recently somebody, I've never entered my stuff on those, but I discovered someone had entered it, including me, who is, I am very much alive. And <laughs> it's not really supposed to have living people on it, right? They're supposed to be listed as unknown. Had my parents down with the wrong birth and death dates. It didn't have my father's father, so it looked like he was illegitimate. Uh, <laughs> horrors, <laughs> grandma. <laughs> you know? I mean, it just had so much wrong information. But when I contacted the person who had put it on there, he said, well, you can send your stuff to me and I'll check it for you if you like, but don't contact me again. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I thought, OK, you're not related to me as far as I know, and I'm not having you into the tree. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, he had the same name as a cousin. 
Uh-huh. The well, and I'd been scolding him about putting this information I'd given him online, and he said, "But I didn't." <laughs> so I wrote him a long apology letter and said, "I am so sorry. I did not realize <laughs> there was someone else in Canada with your name." And he said, "I didn't know that either." <laughs> wow. But you know, it's just one little mistake. So everybody who sees that now would copy that down and have all the wrong information about my family. So just looking at that alone, I know how many other people have contacted me with faulty information. And the other thing I have found too is that people sometimes have been, I don't think it's purposely guilty of, but accidentally guilty of adjusting their tree to fit the history they want to have. Oh, yeah. You know, so like my grand, my great great grandfather is John Mackenzie. His father is John Mackenzie. His father was John Mackenzie. You know, his father was Alexander. Thank goodness. <laughs> you know, but people said, "Well, I need John Mackenzie." Here's John Mackenzie. Oh, he came from this castle. Oh, that's got to be my John. And a whole pile of the people in the United States are sure that their John Mackenzie was in the Eastern United States at a time when I know that they were in Scotland because they were on the boards of all kinds of community activities. He was in government. He had several more children. They all married um, nobility from Scotland. So it's, I think, impossible that that one child that he would have gone to the States, had one child and gone back. Yeah. He so wasn't I, in Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the problem. You know, a lot of times people want to see their history be what it is. And I guess you have to come into uh, a really deep study of your family history, knowing that it may not get you the answer that you want. Well, that John that many people think they connect to had a son, John. He may have come to the States. Mm-hmm. but it's another generation with the same name yeah like i mentioned before you get the same people from the same place with the same names all born the same year sometimes even the same month or date you know yeah. um how do you know which one is which it's, it's very challenging i've done my best over the years to check documentation um wherever possible wherever available I also have done my best to collect up family letters and family letters are sometimes you don't realize it when you receive it from a great great aunt in Scotland when you're a teenager. But uh, 40 years later, you go back and you go, she has just told me all the names of the siblings in that family and where they are and what they're doing and how many kids they have now and who's getting married next week. And, you know, all of these little family details that you just kind of went, okay. But now it's like, holy smokes, I have this, all this family information. I can look up their names and find out about them. You know, so <laughs> letters are a treasure trove. Never throw away an old letter, even if there's one reference to somebody else. Um, the other thing that is so nice is any kind of family treasures that have been passed down, memorabilia. I mean, those things obviously meant something to someone, so they kept it. Yeah. They saw that it went to somebody that it would mean something important to. So 
all those things add up to helping you prove who you are and make you feel like you belong. And then get a male in your family to do the Y-DNA testing and just prove it. Once and for all, there's no arguing with DNA. Yeah. But there can be some problems. Well, supposing one of those young sons had an affair with one of the tenant's daughters. <laughs> and so somebody has a different surname, maybe. And so when they test, it comes up with Mackenzie DNA because that will have been passed down from son to son forever, even if it was four or 500 years ago. Wow, that would be exciting. Or as in the case of my family, going back quite a few generations, there is one family who now live in Australia who knew there was something, but they weren't quite sure. But the middle child in their family was the product of a Mackenzie cousin when the mother was done bodily harm after a skirmish that her husband lost and they won. Oh, interesting. And that's, you know, the nice way of saying she had been raped. Right. But, you know, so there's, there can be affairs, there can be rapes. The other thing that was very common, it seems, from the studying that I've done is undocumented adoptions. Mm. So let's say that you had um, a McLeod woman and her husband, and they had six kids in a row in the first five years. Her younger sister is marrying this nice young Mackenzie boy, and they're having a baby, and she really needs somebody to help her husband. She's not able to go out and help him now that she's got this new baby. So her sister says, how will we give you our second son? And you raise him as your own and he'll be a helper for your husband. So he grows up thinking he's a Mackenzie, does his DNA test, and he's a McLeod, not a Mackenzie. <laughs> of course, back then they weren't going to do their DNA tests oftentimes, so they would never know. So, I mean, my, my optometrist locally was a very proud Mackenzie. He's unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. But I never had the heart to tell him that he was probably the product of an undocumented adoption but he was a Mackenzie you know yeah by name <laughs> he was a Mackenzie right? through and through but then they just disappeared in the tree <laughs> isn't that wild yeah you know? it's, it's wild all, I mean nothing is a hundred percent you know everything you have to watch out for the pitfalls that could be there um and you asked about me working with the states yes I'm happy to work with them but I've also worked with people in Australia and New Zealand and South Africa and cousin Andrew as I like to call him, because he's such a neat fellow, and Kevin too, his brother. <laughs> um, they uh, they are cousins, they're distant cousins, but we are cousins. And he is a genealogist for the UK and Scotland. And we communicate about things where he gets information that he's not sure about that I might have, and I do the same in return with him. Sometimes we can resolve it and sometimes we can't, but it's always interesting. We get somewhere learning a little bit more about it. Yeah. I mean, if, if I know that if I know that Sherry and Andrew are working on a DNA project or genealogy, I know, you know, you're in good hands if they're working on it. They're going to get somewhere. Well, Andrew and Kevin are much more thorough historians than I am. I have got millions of things scrambled in my head, but mine are scattered. They've got theirs down in a book. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> well, Sherry, uh, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. I hope you'll come back to the podcast another time and we'll further a discussion. We can talk a little bit the next time about the serendipity that happens, or do you want to do that for a moment right now? Uh, I would say let's save that for another time. Okay, sure. If you if you'd be willing to come back. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just fun. It would only take a couple minutes, but it's fun. Okay. Uh, we got six minutes left. Oh, we can do it in that. Okay. Okay. There's two really big things of serendipity, things just happening because they were supposed to have come together. Years ago, there was a contest with a local grocery store company across Canada. And if you won, the prize was a visit to another province's capital city for Canada Day, July 1st here. And the lady who won was billeted with us because we had volunteered as hosts for this event, thinking it would be fun. It turned out her last name was Henderson. She was a Mackenzie. Her father had lived in Canada and was in the fur trade in Northern Manitoba when she was a small child and then they had returned to Scotland again. She had married later and come back to Canada. So we were interviewed by TV, radio, newspaper, all sorts of things. We had a ball and we're still great friends. The other one happened just a couple of days ago here in my home in Regina, near Regina. I had a fellow come into our campground, his name's George McKenzie. And we had chatted for a moment when he did the booking and I said, oh, McKenzie, I like that. <laughs> I have a connection with the McKenzies. So we uh -huh. talked about, well, I'd like to meet you. So he had arranged with my husband to come out and visit the next day. Well, I said, let's just sit down because the database is so large now. I said, let's just sit down and start putting in your own information. So we did that, starting with him, his father, his wife was here. We put in their children and their grandchildren while we're there. So it's up to date. And we went back and I get to his father and I said, well, was his father so-and-so? And he said, yeah. I said, was he born in 1914? He said, yes. I said, well, I already have him and it going back for another 300 years in my database already. Holy smokes. His mind was blown, I bet, at that it moment. Just meant to happen. Serendipity. Serendipity. That's fantastic. <laughs> thank you very much for sharing that story. We thank you for all the information. And no doubt, we thank you for all your hard work and studying the genealogy of the Mackenzies. It's awesome to meet you. And uh, if people want to get a hold of you, how could they How could they find you? They can reach me at my name, Sherry, S-H-A-R-I-E, argue, A-R-G-U-E, at Sasktel, S-A-S-K-T-E-L dot net. Great. Thanks again for being with the Clan McKenzie podcast this week. It's been a pleasure. Enjoyed chatting with you. Mackenzie podcast is produced by Jared Smart and in association with the Clan Mackenzie Society of Scotland and the UK.